Would you open your Bible to Zechariah chapter 11, please? The 11th chapter of Zechariah. We're thankful for the message and song that has blessed our hearts. Praise the Lord. Zechariah chapter 11. I want you to pray, pray especially tonight that the Holy Spirit will speak to all of our hearts and give me divine guidance as to the direction of the message because in this chapter there are at least five sermons that I'd like to preach and I'm asking the Lord to guide. I have all of them on my heart. We could be here till midnight, but I promise you we won't. I want to speak tonight on the subject, what is your life? How much are you worth? And I want to base this on a portion of this prophetic 11th chapter of Zechariah. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank Thee for what we have already experienced in the singing of these songs and this, this special testimony and song that just blessed our souls and sermon to us tonight. We pray that the Lord will be blessed and glorified and honored. We feel like saying, Mighty God, while angels praise Thee, dare a mortal, speak Thy name. We thank You that You've enabled us to bring glory to Christ as mere mortal beings. So tonight, may we be aware of the purpose of God for our life. May we yield to that purpose. We pray that will touch those who are without Christ, some who have never made a public profession of faith, and others who have grown weary in well-doing, or some who are weak. Oh, God, strengthen. And tonight, may the Holy Spirit do His work of conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read the 17 verses of Zechariah 11. When the open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars, wail, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Wail, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. There is a voice of the wailing of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled. A voice of the roaring of young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Thus saith the Lord my God, feed the flock of thy slaughter, whose possessors slay them, and hold themselves not guilty. And they that sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. For I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. But lo, I will deliver the men, every one into his neighbor's hand, and into the hand of his king, and they shall smite the land, and out of their hand I shall not deliver them. And I will feed the flock of slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. And I took unto me two staves, the one I called beauty, and the other I called bands, and I fed the flock. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. 
Then said I, I will not feed you that which dieth, let it die. That which is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat, every one, the flesh of another. And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder, that I might break my covenant which I had made with all the peoples. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a lordly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd, for lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, who shall not visit those that are cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that which is broken, nor feed that which standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat, and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm, and upon his right eye. His arm shall be completely dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. This mysterious 17 verses speaks of three prophetic truths, two that are past and one that is yet to come. In order, in the scripture, they speak, number one, of the destruction of Jerusalem. For the Lebanon and the cedars of Lebanon and the oaks of Bashan often frequently stood for Jerusalem and the temple. For the temple was constructed from the oaks of Bashan and the cedars of Lebanon. And in prophetic truth, those early verses of this chapter speak of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, which was accomplished in the year 70 A.D. The second division of this chapter speaks of the rejection of the Messiah, the Lord Christ, and the 30 pieces of silver with which Judas betrayed our Savior. The first section, speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem, has as its reason the rejection of the Messiah. And so in chronological order, the second would come first, the rejection of the Messiah, and then the destruction of Jerusalem. And thirdly in this passage, we see the coming of the idle shepherd or antichrist, which is yet to come. Now time will not permit us to go into depth study of all three of these wonderful truths that are before us. But may we see just brief glimpses of truth that will be of help to us as we move in on the question, how much are you worth? What is your life? And what is its value? And what was its value when we consider what Christ did on the cross to pay for our lives? So first of all, we see two staves mentioned in this passage. In Zechariah 11, verse 7, 
and I will feed the flock of slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. And I took unto me two staves, the one I called beauty, the other I called bands, which I fed the flock, and I fed the flock. The word beauty probably would be translated in a perfectly good sense if it were translated grace, for it is the same word in the original language from which we get graciousness or grace. And so we could say the first stave I called grace or beauty, and the second I called bands, which means binders. Now, with grace and binders, with beauty and bands, God had dealt gently and graciously with the people of Israel. He had made a covenant with his people. That covenant was a protection for Israel. If you'll notice carefully, in the message we brought this morning, we noted that God, over 300 years, 300, over 300 years, protected Israel and Judah and gave them protection from the nations of the earth. Actually, far more than 300 years, probably for over four, nearly 500 years as a nation. And before that, from the time of Abraham, for years unnumbered, God had protected his people. It was, was as if he had an umbrella over them. On the buses, our kids sing something about his banner over me was love. Israel could sing that. God put an umbrella banner over his people, and that banner was called beauty or grace, and nothing could get to Israel to destroy the nation until God was fed up with their sins. And God did not completely be, was not completely fed up until the crisis came, when the king himself came, Christ Jesus, and offered himself to the people of Israel and they rejected him. They said, no, no. Now we know about the defeats of Israel. In 722, Assyria came and led into oblivion the 10 northern tribes of Israel. And yet God was merciful and God was slow to anger. And God gave southern Judah a little longer, 200 years more, so that they had over 300 years as a nation. And in 585, Nebuchadnezzar was permitted by God under the hands of Babylonians to come in and conquer the nation Judah and to lead into captivity those people of God. But even down in Babylon, God sent Isaiah and said, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sin. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight in the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. Where was this said? Those famous verses I just quoted. They're Christmas verses. They're passages we're familiar with from Handel's Messiah, from the wonderful truths of the Old Testament. Where'd they come from? Where were they said? They were said under the providential grace of God when Israel was in trouble, when Judah was in a foreign land, in Babylonian captivity. God went down there and said, I'm going to give you another chance. And he raised up Daniel. And down there in Nebuchadnezzar's land of Babylon, Daniel remained true to God until he was 90 years old. All through that captivity period, he kept alive the hope of the name of the Lord in old Babylon. 
in the hearts of the people of God in Israel. That's God's providential grace. But there came a day when God said, I'm going to destroy beauty. I'm going to destroy that stave beauty. My covenant I've made with God's people. I'm going to destroy it because of their rejection of the Messiah. I'll destroy it. The other stave was the stave bands, which has the idea of togetherness, holding together. It's like a binder that you use in school and you put all your notes in that binder and, and they're held together. That's what the original word means, binder. And, uh, and God bound the people of Judah and Israel, the Jews together as such a people that they kept their identity and they kept their own national homeland. Finally, God said, I'm going to destroy that because of what they've done. Now, what did they do? He came into his own and his own received him not. The Lord Jesus Christ came as the Savior of the world. He was born in that stable in Bethlehem. He grew up among his own people in Nazareth. And when he was about 30 years of age, he went down to John the baptizer at Jordan and said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it behooveth us to fulfill all righteousness. And incidentally, friend, if there were no other reason in the world to be baptized, no other reason, except Jesus thought it was important enough to walk 60 miles to have John the baptizer immerse him in the Jordan River. I'd want to follow my Lord's example. I'd want to follow him in believer's baptism. I don't understand a Christian, a person who comes and says, I'm saved, but I don't want to be baptized. Jesus was baptized, not in order to be saved, but thus it, to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus began his public ministry. He touched blind eyes and caused them to see. He interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life. He touched limbs that were lame and caused them to walk again. He called disciples to him. One day, Peter, James, and John were out there on the sea fishing, and Jesus said, come after me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. One day, Matthew was standing at the seat of customs in Capernaum, and Jesus passed by, and Matthew was never the same again. For the Lord said, come, follow me and I'll make you to become a fisher of men. And Matthew left his taxes and began to follow our Lord. Now we're not sure where it was that Judas Iscariot began to follow the Lord. Judas was from Kirioth. And Judas had a strange background and a strange nature in his life. He began to follow the Lord, but there was never that transformation inside of his life. The scripture says in one place, that when the women anointed the body of Jesus and brought an expensive anoint, anointing, that Judas said, why was not this sold and the money given to the poor? And the scripture comments, Judas didn't really want to give it to the poor. He was a thief and he wanted the money himself. Judas Iscariot, in the very presence of the Lord, didn't even recognize deity, didn't even recognize God. Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. And the scripture tells us there came a day when Judas went to the priests, the scribes, and he made a bargain and a deal with them whereby he could sell the Savior. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, 
Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me that I will deliver him unto you? And they bargained with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. And in chapter 26, verse 47, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave the sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, why art thou come? They Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Judas, Judas, Iscariot, selling our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Now Judas, notice, posed as one of the followers of the Lord. He was, as it were, in the church. And I believe the church was founded by the Lord himself, by Jesus in Matthew 16. And Judas was a member of that church. I don't know whether he'd been baptized. I assume he had. He was a follower of the Lord. He was in that inner circle. He was one of the 12. He went in and out with Jesus. He slept with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He saw all those miracles. Judas Iscariot. And yet something inside of him was never right. You say Judas was saved and then got lost? Jesus said he was a son of perdition, always. Judas was never saved. He was a member of the church, but he, was never had a, he never had a transformed character. He never had a transformed mind. He never had a transformed life. And I want to ask us tonight, if there is one among us who senses in his own life that he's never been transformed, he may be a member of the church. He may have been baptized. He may hold an office in the church, but he realizes he's never been transformed. His thinking is not Christ-like. His behavior is not Christ-like. His ambitions are not Christ-like. His spirit inside of him is not controlled by the Spirit of God. Then I want to say to you, he may be like Judas Iscariot. He may be in the church, but not in the kingdom of God, never having been saved. Judas Iscariot sold out to himself I think there were times, many times, when the Lord gave Judas an opportunity to come. But Judas rejected every opportunity. And finally, at the end of his life, he sold out lock, stock, and barrel to himself, to his old ambitions, to his desire for money, for power, for, for fame, and all of those things. And to him, his desire for fame and popularity and finances and lordly power and political prowess, that's what Judas was worth, but that's all he was worth. That's all. There was nothing inside of him that claimed the great promises of God, nothing that ever transformed him and made him a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it was this incident that Zechariah refers to in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said unto me, Cast it into the potter. A lordly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. In the New Testament, we read that this was perfectly fulfilled. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave gored by an ox. A slave, a common slave sold on the slave market would have brought more, far more than that, but a slave who had been gored by an ox was worth 30 pieces of silver. Prophetically, Zechariah says that's what the Messiah will be sold for. 
and we read its fulfillment in Matthew that Judas was willing to sell the Son of God for the price of a slave gored by an ox. You know who that slave was gored by an ox? It was my Savior. It was a son of righteousness who hath risen with healing in his wings. It was none other than the Son of God who came from the glory of heaven to the gory place of Calvary to pour his life out for you and me that we might be saved. The Son of righteousness risen, risen in order to save us and to cleanse us and justify us and make us perfect before God. And when God saw that Israel rejected her Messiah, he said, that's enough. I will destroy the stave of beauty. My protection over Israel, I'll destroy it. And as a result, in the year 70 A.D., and Jesus had warned the Jews of this himself, in the year 70 A.D., the Romans marched into Jerusalem under Titus, and they sacked the city and they burned the walls and they tore it down and they stole the treasures out of the temple and wrecked the temple and burned it and tore it down and the Jews went into international dispersia and for nearly 2,000 years the Jews had no homeland God said it right here I'll destroy my stave of beauty the protective grace that was over Israel Oh, but we read in other scriptures that this was only a postponement, that it was only in order for the Jews to be a national sign to the whole world. Because God, in this same chapter, in the same book, speaks of the time when the Jews will be brought back to their homeland and will be established again. And the next chapters of Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 speak of the coming of the Lord. They speak of the dispersion of Israel. They speak of the awful tyranny in Jerusalem. They speak of the glorious coming of our King when Jesus shall come and his feet shall stand in that day on the mount called Olive and the mount shall be cloven in, in the midst. And there'll be a great ravine and the Jews will hide in that from the awful tyranny in the tribulation period. And the last section of this chapter deals with the coming of the idle shepherd. Oh, the idle shepherd. The Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd of the land who shall not visit those that are cut off. Neither shall seek the young ones, nor heal that which is broken, nor feed that which is, is standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye and so on and so on. This speaks of none other than the coming of Antichrist. The coming of the personified spirit of Satan in a man. The man, what is your life? Is your life a vapor or an investment? In James chapter 4, Verse 14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And in Mark chapter 8, 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall 
be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Zechariah tells us hundreds of years before the Christ was ever born that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew records that Judas went to the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and said, what will you give me for, this, for the Son of God? What will you give me for this man that I'm following? What will you sell him for? And they weighed to him 30 pieces of silver. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He sold out. Now I want to ask you, what is your life worth? What is your sale mark? I may be wrong about men, and I'm not trying to brag on any one particular person tonight, but I want to say I respect Mr. Charles Wilson, who is at this moment very sick in the hospital. And at his, his uh, you might say, inauguration the other day, I was thankful to be able to say thank you, Lord, for a man in city government who is not for sale, who will not sell out to the base lower things. And I told Charlie that. I said, I'm counting on that, praying for you, and I thank God for you. We need men today who will not sell out to the base, weak things of life. In government echelons, we have men who sell out for bribes. We have men who sell out for political prowess. We have men who sell out for fame. We have men who sell out because they have no backbone, no character. And in the Christian life, we have men and women and young people and boys and girls who have been to Calvary, who have received Christ as Savior, and they're no better off than Judas. They're no better than Judas. Judas sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver, but many people today sell our Lord and sell their life and sell their power and sell their fame for Christ and sell their influence and their influence with men and with God for far less than 30 pieces of silver. Sometimes they sell themselves for pleasure from early morning till evening, all that pleases the eye, the thrill of the moment, the passing joys, the glitter of the bright lights, and pleasure indeed has its offerings, no boredom, no uh, dull passing of time, good time for a season. There's never a dull moment. The world needs pleasure and relaxation. The tense nerves of today's society need a form of re relaxation. But to place first emphasis on this, even in youth, is to misplace the emphasis, and life becomes a vapor. In Proverbs 21, 17, when this emphasis is our life, our life is filled with spiritual poverty. In Isaiah 47, verses 8 and 9, it is a false security. In Luke 8, 14, there is spiritual barrenness. In 1 Timothy 5, 6, spiritual death. Men and women, young people who sell their best for pleasure. The prodigal son did this. Father, give me your inheritance. I'm going out and making a living. I'm going to go and make my fortune in life. He went out. He lived in splendor while he had the money. Remember this, young people, as long as you have the money, you'll have some friends. But they'll be fair-weather friends. They'll be money friends. And they'll booze you up. And they'll be with you. And they'll say, come on, let's dance. And let's do this. And let's do the other. And all these things that the world goes after and loves. 
They'll go visit all the taverns with you as long as you've got some money. But when the money disappears, your friends disappear. So what happened to the prodigal son? He woke up one day in a pig pen. He said, I don't have anything. Not a thing. Here I am. My, my hired heart, why the hired servants back home have more than I've got. And all I've got to eat is old husks that fall from the halls. I will do this. I will arise and go to my father. And he had the sense to go back home. I think that tells the story of a Christian. A Christian who went away from God and came back. He went back to his father. And when he got near his father, his father was out on the way waiting. And when his father saw him, he went with opened arms. So our Lord will do. Young people, sometimes we get mixed up in life's emphasis. And we sell everything we are for just a little bit of mess of pork porridge or, or, or mess of stew. We sell it for just a little. We sell our lives out. We sell our purity out. We sell the things that God holds dear to us. We sell them out for nothing. We have nothing to show for it. What are you worth? What's your sale price? Fame? Pleasure? Popularity? A boy calls a girl on telephone and says, listen, we're having the, a dance over at school after the game. Uh, I want you to go with me. Oh, uh, well, uh, um, let me see. I, um, um, well, you know, uh, I'd like to go, but I'm not sure my mother will let me. It's a Christian girl. That's a poor excuse to give. Christian girl, don't ever tell some boy that wants you to go to a dance. I'm not sure my mother will let me. If you haven't got any convictions, get some. Tell that boy, I'm a Christian. And I'm sorry, I can't go. I'd like for you to go to church with me Wednesday night, though. If he's asking you for a date, you have just as much right to turn right around and ask him for a date back, right? Amen. It's leap year, incidentally. You can do it, girls. But invite him to something that counts. girl and a guy go out together the guy says now look we're going to come in uh, everybody's going over to this place tonight and we'll just go on over there and they go over there and they're passing the drinks around and the girl knows that God didn't want her to drink she's a Christian but she's uh, sort of scared everybody else is there they're all drinking and so she says first no I don't I don't want anything to drink tonight I'll take a coke oh come on you sissy something wrong with you why, you must be old-fashioned. Come on. And so after a while, that girl, not able to stand the stress, sells out just to be one of the crowd. Or here's a young man that has some spiritual life in him. He knows God, been saved, and he goes with the crowd in the high school gang. And somebody says, come on, and... and just do this and nobody will ever know and that boy sells out to his baser self to be one of the gang to be a jolly good fellow what is the price on your life what's the price tag how much you worth 30 pieces of silver mess of pottage popularity is that your price fame is that your price Pleasure, is that your price? And they measured for his price 30 pieces of silver. 
And the Lord said, that's a lordly price you put on me. The price of a servant gored by an ox. I want to ask you tonight, how much are we worth to God? What kind of a price does God place on us? When the Lord looks at us, what are we worth? I think they're dime people, they're quarter people, they're dollar people, they're $10 people, they're $100 people, they're a million dollar people. What kind of person are you? What kind of person am I? Now, I'm not talking about what other people think of us. That's one thing. In Jeremiah's day, people didn't like Jeremiah very well. I think he was one of God's million-dollar men. I'm not talking about what the kings think. The king hated Elijah. Jezebel said, tomorrow, by this time, your life will be like all those prophets you've killed. You old Elijah. Elijah ran for his life. I think Elijah was one of God's million-dollar men. How much are you and I worth to the Lord? Jesus said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. In Mark chapter 8, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I told you this morning, and I tell you again tonight, that what I'm saying concerning the 11th chapter of Zechariah is... I could stay in this chapter for days and days and days and days and days. And my mind is in almost a muddle tonight as to know what to say, but this is on my heart. The 30 pieces of silver that the Lord was sold for reminds me of the price it costs for us to sell out to self or to Christ. Which will it be? And tonight, every person in this room will sell out one to the other. You'll either sell out to the Lord or you'll sell out to the devil and self you'll either sell out to the lord jesus christ and say lord i want to yield my life to thee or you'll sell out to your old nature your old self the thing that's held you in its clutches through the years maybe fear maybe be timidity maybe your family background maybe you're scared of what somebody will say you're afraid to step out for god i talked to a person one day who said i would like to become a christian i would like to take a stand for god but my family wouldn't understand. They wouldn't understand at all. And I'm just going to be a secret disciple of the Lord. I believe in the Lord, but I'm going to be a secret disciple. I can't take a stand for God. In the work of the Lord, there are no secret disciples. Everybody who is saved in the New Testament stands for the Lord. Finally, Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea, who are classed as two secret disciples, finally they had to, there came a day when they had to take a stand for the Lord. And they begged from Pilate the body of the Lord and took it lovingly and tenderly down from the cross and laid it in that tomb, coming out in the open. Their names are inscribed in the annals of God's book forever for everybody to know about. You can't be a secret disciple. If you're going to serve the Lord, you'll have to be an open disciple for the Lord. And listen to what Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. Jim Elliott when he graduated from the school at Wheaton, Illinois, Wheaton College. He was a brilliant young man in his early 20s. God had called him to missions. A job came that offered him a beginning salary in those days of $15,000 a year. 
Some of his friends said, now look, Jim, you're just a young man. You could take that salary and take that job and look at all the money you could give to missions. Jim said, no, God's called me to the AUKUS Indians. And Jim Elliott went to South America. And you know the story of how he and his four friends flew into AUKUS territory to give the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to those Indians who had never heard of God and they were killed by the AUKUS. But wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not the end of the story. Jim Elliott, he's gone on to glory. I remember when the newspaper headlines came out with that story. Some of the editors were critical of these missionaries. They said they must be out of their minds. Don't they know that those AUKUS Indians are man hunters and they don't know anything about God? They're satisfied with themselves. Why go in there and bother them? But wait a minute. The AUKUS Indians now know the Lord because there was a young girl, Dayuma, who escaped from the AUKUS and came out. The wife of one of those missionaries and the sister of one of those missionaries began to tell tenderly and lovingly the story to Dayuma of Jesus. And through that contact made by Jim Elliott, the AUKUS Indians now have the glorious gospel. What was life worth to Jim Elliott? $15,000 a year or burying himself where God wanted him? Over the sunset mountains, someday I'll gladly go into the arms of Jesus, my Savior who loves me so. Those beautiful words written by a songwriter who is famous today for writing Christian hymns. And as far as my, I know, he doesn't write anything but songs that glorify Jesus. And when he wrote that song, a publishing firm in New York contacted him and said, if you'll change one word, just one word, we'll give you immediately $10,000 for that song. If you change one word, he said, what is the word? If you change the word from Jesus to Mary or Ellen, or any girl, make a difference, just change it from Jesus. He said, I'm not for sale. This song was written to glorify Jesus Christ. What's the sale price on your life? Are you after money, fame, pleasure, or would you gladly invest your life in the cause of Christ? I believe there are young men and young women in this room tonight who if you would totally sell out to Jesus Christ and give him your whole life on the altar, God could take you and break you and make you and mold you and fashion you so that the name of Christ would be honored and glorified to the ends of the earth. Thousands of people could be saved because of your life. You may not live a long life, but the Lord could be honored through you. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. What is the price? Thirty pieces of silver. That's what Judas thought of Jesus. David Livingston said, I will place no value on anything I am or possess except in its relation to the kingdom of God. Fritz Chrysler, the famous violinist, said, I never look on the money I earn as my own. It is only a fund entrusted to my care for proper disbursement. 
I feel morally guilty in ordering a costly meal for it derives someone else and deprives someone else of something they may need. When God was ready to build a great nation, he said, Abraham, leave Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham could have said, but Lord, my friends and loved ones and family have always lived in Ur. I, I don't want to leave Ur. God said, go, Ur, go, go Abraham, leave Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a land that I'll show you. Abraham said, all right, Lord, I'll go. And Abraham became the father of the faithful. One day Moses was on the backside of the desert. He had been afraid to go back to Egypt because he had killed a man down there. He had a, bas a bad background. God said, Moses, I want you to go down to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses said, oh, Lord, I can't speak. Lord, I'm scared. I don't think I can do it. God said, Moses, I said to go. I'll go with you. And I'll put my words in your mouth. And I'll even give you Aaron to be a spokesman. Go, go. Moses got up and went because said, God said to go. One day God said, Saul, I want you to be king in Israel. And Saul was a man who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And he said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. He started serving God. And in the middle of his serving for God, he became proud and vain and arrogant. And instead of being walking humbly with the Lord, he became vain. God had to lay Saul on the shelf. And one day, because Saul could no longer pray, he had to visit the woman of Ender to find out what was going to happen in the battlefield the next day. Saul sold out to self, and God had to pass on to somebody else. What about you tonight? How much are you worth? What is your life worth? To God, to you, to others. What are you going to accomplish in life? What is it in 1976 you're really going to give yourself to? Is it to pleasure? Is it to fame? Is it to the things that the world can give you in a silver platter? Is it to financial prowess and success? Or can you say, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today? Years ago, when Bev Shea was a young man, he was offered a contract in opera and the entertainment world. For a while, he wavered, wondering what to do. One day, he came home, and he found on the piano a poem his mother had placed there. His mother didn't preach to him much, though she was a preacher's wife, a great Christian. The poem was just sitting on the piano, and she knew that Bev always came in and played the piano. And when Bev Shea saw those words, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today, he began to put melodies to the words. And then he began to sing it. And right there at the piano, he made a commitment to Jesus Christ, the words of that poem. I'd rather have Jesus than to be the king of a vast domain. I'd rather have Jesus than the world's applause. What about you? May we pray. Every head bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. Whatever your sin and shame and background and problem and burden and heartache tonight, Jesus is the answer and the cure for it if you'll come to him. Our Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts. 
But those who are without Christ will come trusting the Savior as their own personal Savior. And some who've already been saved will have the courage right now not to wait, not to wait till some other time, not even to wait till they understand better, but will just come tonight and say, I want my life to count for Christ. I may not have but two days or a year, but if God gives me those two days or a year or 10 years or 30 years, I'm going to serve the Lord. We pray for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation hymn. Remember, please, this is the invitation of the Lord. It is not my invitation. It's God's invitation. And I want to ask you tonight, if you're here without Christ, you have never received him as your personal Savior, would you open your heart to him now? God help you to do it. You may have, back years ago, had an experience with the Lord. Maybe you were saved. But somehow you're not serving God. And maybe you don't even have the assurance of your salvation. Would you come tonight and say, I want to make positive that my life is out and out for the Lord God. Would you do it? You may be a member of another church and God wants you at Glendale. Or maybe you've never been saved and you need to trust Jesus as your Savior tonight. I believe there are young people here tonight who need to put their life on the line for God. God could use you. I believe God's calling some young man to preach, some young woman to go as a servant for the Lord who will say, here am I, Lord. Use me, send me. While we sing, on this first Sunday night of the new year, will you step out for Christ and say, I'm giving my life to him right now. God help you to do it. While we sing.